And I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 20. You probably realize we was going to go there anyway. Um, it's related to what we just did, this idea of honor. I'm going to mention something a little bit later about I, I did a funeral in, in Jackson, Alabama. Some of you know where that's at. It's on Highway 43, and if you're not careful, you'll make a donation to the city hall as you go through there, as well as Grove Hill, Thomasville, and uh, all kinds of places along the way to Mobile. They just love to have your out-of-community money to come into their resources. But um, in, in, that, in that funeral procession, I just I love being in the South. People, people outside the South has no comprehension of some of our tradition. Now, in Tuscaloosa, you know, it's not quite like Jackson, Alabama. And uh, even Garrett and I, when we were, in, and I failed to mention this, I, we have people that can fill in for me when I'm gone, and I appreciate Shelby filling in Wednesday night. And we have a number of people can do that. I think we're just blessed. You know, see, it shows you that you don't really need me. You just, you have people who can plug in. <laughs> But uh, uh, coming back, Garrett and I ha saw two funeral processions on Interstate 20 in downtown Atlanta. Now, that's the fastest funeral procession I think I've ever seen. We only knew it was a funeral procession because there was a, a, a hearse in front of them, and they all had their emergency blinkers on, but they were scooting it. But in Jackson, when we left the church, there was three police cruisers there to stop traffic to stop traffic, not slow down traffic. I'm talking about stopping traffic. And as we, and I, I'm, I'm behind the hearse. I'm, I'm the first vehicle behind the hearse. And, and people would stop on the road coming our way, stop to a dead stop. And just a little bit down the road, a, a guy on a motorcycle stopped, and I love this. He stopped and took his helmet off. That small town, Alabama. Everybody stopped. You know what word we use for that? Respect. Honor. And this goes, this kind of word pops up here prominently in the fifth commandment. If you're there at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it's not a long commandment, but listen to it. It, it could be, I'm just putting this, it could be probably the most important of the last six commandments. And I'll explain why I think it could be really the prominent commandment in those last six. It goes like this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And like I said, this is commandment number five. And I know we're isolating these to look at them individually, but really, truly, it's a mistake for us to list them in a separate category from each other. They're all connected. Are you following me when I'm saying that? That? The first four commandments, everything else after the first four hinges on them. They're all connected. You cannot snub your nose at the first four and make good on the last six. That's what I'm trying to say. They are connected. So when we read, honor your father and mother, those words hinge on submission to the one true God, on eliminating every competing Entity that wants to compete for your attention and for your worship. It also is a refusal to casually use the name of God 
and to embrace this idea of celebrating God's finished work by our own observation of a Sabbath, a rest. Isn't it interesting that the very first word on the next six commandments is this word honor? But when you think about it, it has to do with families, not individuals. The first commandment is dealing with families. And I really believe that all of these commandments, though we're embracing them individually, their application is truly in the home. These commandments are for families, not just individuals. The home. In Deuteronomy, Moses goes into a reminding. He's, this is the last thing he's writing. He's, he's 120 years of age, and he's recapping everything. He's nearing the end. And in that recapping, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 6 that he reminds them of these things. And if you look, this is one of the great admonitions that he gives to the people of Israel. Watch this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Jesus takes that and reminds people that that's probably the one commandment we need to do, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now watch this in verse 7. And I want to impress this upon you because as, as families here, this is supposed to be observed in family settings. In a family setting, listen to this in verse 7. Impress them on your children. I hope that the only education we give our children is not here. We ought to give them here. We, we ought to educate and teach and try to do our best discipleship. But he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, every day impress these upon your family, your children. It's not you take a break from that to come on Sunday from life. This is supposed to be part of our everyday life. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All of that has to do with your home. A couple of chapters before that in Deuteronomy 4, 9, Moses writes this. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Moses reminds them that the nation doesn't define the family, but the family defines the nation. God's covenant with Israel was not a national covenant as a national entity, it was with individuals and family members. I wish that what happens here on Sunday morning would define us. What happens here on Sunday morning does not define us. What defines us on Sunday morning is what we did Monday through Saturday. That defines us. I treasure what we just did. Those 15, 20, 25 minutes, however long... We spend in worship. This is how I look at that part of our service. Not a song service. I look at that as Jesus time. That's my opportunity. From the very first 
note on an instrument in the very first word, I want my focus to be on him. And that's the way we should be. But what defines us is not what we do here. It's what we do after we leave here. If you think about it, I wish there was something... I wish the hour and what? How, how many minutes do we have on a Sunday morning? Hour and... And in this part, we have Sunday school at 9.30 and we go for an hour there, but, you know, from... Nine, 10.45 to 12, what's it, that's an hour and 15 minutes. That's a lot of, is that a lot? Is that too much? How, how about if we add another five minutes to it? Or God forsake, we have 10 minutes. What in the world? We got to go eat, preacher. It's 12 o'clock. We're not supposed to stay long. And, and this, this defines us? I'm not diminishing this. I'm just saying there's something about this personal relationship that he told them, don't take this only to Sabbath time, Sabbath school, our time of getting together. He says, live with this. Write it on the doorpost. Carry it around. And, you know, the, the Jewish people just became so obsessed with the outward obedience that they had these phylacteries. And it's little capsules that they bind around their forehead and they put straps. I've been at the Wailing Wall when they had the bar mitzvahs, the, the joint bar mitzvahs, and, and this is this, uh, the male boys at 12, the boys at 12, male boys, maybe I should say it that way now, but the boys got, go into like manhood and they have this celebration. It's just ha you have to watch it to see the celebration. And they got these little scriptures and little things on their forehead and on their arms. And they think they're doing this. That they're strapping it to their foreheads and they're strapping it to their arms. And they're fulfilling the purpose of God. We all know that's not what God meant. He meant that they should think about it in their minds and live it out through their physical, physical energy. I know what you're saying you know, we come here to get out of our world. This is our moment of refreshing, and that, that's good. And it should be an encouraging time, but I believe, and I think you'll concur, that what happens outside this room really is the workshop of life. This should give us an encouragement to do more outside here, right? So what does verse 12, honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of your God giving you. What does that involve? I'm glad you asked that question. And it starts with that word honor. How would you define honor? And that's just a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. But it's a, it's a Hebrew word, kabod. The, uh, that's the verb, to honor. Kabod is the noun, and it really means Glory. Kabod means to make heavy. So how do you make heavy your father and mother? It, it, it's a play on value because precious metals, even today, gold and silver are priced by what? By their weight, right? And everything was on a metal currency back then. Gold was measured in weight and therefore the value of gold. How much gold you have determined the weight, how much value 
you had in silver to determine by the weight. And this kabod was to add value, to place value on. In fact, it, this is the same word, kabod, that Proverbs chapter 3 uses. And if you don't know Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it's, it, it's kind of similar to Exodus 20, 12. He says, but the commandment is this, honor the Lord with your substance, possessions, and with the first fruits of your increase. This is the tithe. This is the commandment to honor God with what you have, the, the, the possessions that you have and the tithe that you have. And there's a promise with it so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will flow with new wine. In verse 10, there's this, commitment to honor God, and it's the very same word that it has there to honor your father and mother. Give God what's rightfully his. That's what he's saying. Give to God. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. That's the promise to honor your father and mother. And I believe we can understand the application of this when we see how Jesus treats this commandment. I want to take you to the New Testament here, so keep your, uh, your iPhones handy, your Bibles handy. Go with me to Matthew chapter 15. This is one of these things that Jesus deals with, and this commandment pops up here in this exchange that he has with this particular person. And you'll find in Matthew 15, verse 1, that the scribes and Pharisees are always trying to catch Jesus in a mistake. They're always pressing him. And this was one of those occasions where today the subject of contention happens to be they're not washing their hands enough. And here they come saying, you know, your disciples are transgressing the tradition of the elders. This is verse 2. For they do not wash their hands before they eat bread. And this was their complaint. Your disciples are violating our tradition. And like Jesus has done on other occasions, he did not address that. He did not try to defend what his disciples were doing or not doing. But he pressed them. His answer was this. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Now, let's stop right there. Which is of greater importance, the tradition of man or the commandment of God? The commandment of God. The commandment of God should have heavier weight than the tradition of man. And he presses them on, a, on this whole verse about honoring your father and mother. Listen to what he says. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. I think there was a strong emphasis on giving honor to your parents. But Jesus says to, says to them, but you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is really a gift of God and a gift to God, then he doesn't need to honor his father and mother. And over in Mark, it, says, it uses the words korban. Uh, you know, let me, let me just give you a little bit of history on family, okay? If you've ever done family research, and I'm, I love genealogy research, 
Uh, I've seen all the census that they have now on digitized formats. And here's what I recognize in the late 1800s and early 1900s is families kept their aging parents with them. The Tucker family, how many was like 18, 17? There were 17 kids. That poor lady had 17 kids. Two sets of twins, I think. And I found, I found them in a census. I think it was a 1910 census. Eleven of those kids were still staying at home. And mom and dad was there, and there was dad's mom and dad. If you add that up, well, that's 15. And I asked him one time, what kind of breakfast table did you people have? He, was, he worked in a sawmill, so he made his own table, like from here to there. But it was before Social Security, before it's kind of like this. This is what Jesus was talking to them about. There's this honor your father and mother was never, it never expired. And it really set into motion when they got old that it was the family's responsibility to take care of them. And back in the early days of our country, that's what families did. And almost all the death certificates signed during that time, almost all of hardly any of them were signed at the hospital. They were signed at the home of a, of a family member. They were, they were kept, they were honored, and he was dealing with that. He was dealing with people saying, okay, you have financial means to take care of your, your mother and father, but you've come up with this idea that if we say, well, what do we have left? We've really dedicated it to God and sorry. We, we would love to spend it on you, but it's really committed to the Lord. And he said, you found a way. This is how you put it. You found a way. You made the commandment of no effect by your tradition. You destroyed the fifth commandment. And this is what Jesus, if you're there in Matthew 15, verse 7, he uses one of his favorite words for them. Are you there? What is it? Hypocrites. <laughs> you hypocrites. And the interesting thing, that word is not translated. It's Hippocrates. It's, it's transliterated. It's given an English sound. It was a word used for people who did acting on a drama stage. They were assuming a role that wasn't them. They were faking it. And this is what he was saying. You are really faking being what God wants you to be as children to honor your father and mother. And then he goes to Matthew 19, if you'll turn there. This is an interesting conversation. This is a, this is a conversation you've read many, many times, but I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to this and just pay close attention. Can, can I tell you that the fifth commandment, we ought to hit the pause button right here. Now, my parents are both gone, and my time of honoring them is history. But I'm talking to people this morning. You're not too far down the road from facing some things in regard to your parents. And this applies to you. And this guy didn't have any interest in anything but getting to heaven. When he comes to Jesus, this is Matthew 19. It's going to start in verse 16. When he comes to Jesus, all he's interested in is getting to heaven. And he says this to the Lord. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? 
what good things, what can I do that's good than, that can get me into eternal life? And he, and he said to him, why do you call me good? Jesus responds, no one is good but one. That is God. But if you, I find verse 17 kind of interesting, right? The guy posed the question, what good thing do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said this, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Anybody find that unusual? It's not believe. It's keep the commandments. And I really think, I know, do you think Jesus was setting him up for this? I believe he was setting him up. He, he was, he's in his world. He's in his, what can I do? What kind of activity can I do to get there? And he answers in that vein, keep the commandments. So what does the guy say? Which ones? <laughs> All right. I find this humorous. He's wanting to get eternal life, and Jesus said, keep the commandments. Uh, what's the minimum? Okay, he should have said, okay, I'll do my best to keep all the commandments. No, he's like, well, which ones? Which ones? Well, I can eliminate everything else. Just tell me which one. And guess what? Jesus answers him. He answers him with the commandments. Watch this in verse 18. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I find that one of the most interesting responses is what you do because Jesus inverts the list. Honor your father and mother is before the rest of these about do not. He finishes up with emphatically, I think, bringing to this man's attention, you honor your father and mother and you love people. And love to your parents is shown by how you Honor them. This is where he was getting. And what did he say? Boy, was he lying. <laughs> oh, I've done all that. And he says, okay, you love everybody? How about selling everything you got and give it to them? That's really what he was, that's what he responded. And the guy went away, well, well he had to add that commitment. But he says, love your neighbor, and it all starts with this commandment of honoring your father and mother. There's one other place in the New Testament I want to take you that this commandment is mentioned, and it's from the pen of the Apostle Paul in his last chapter in the Ephesian correspondence. And I, I want to read this because I'm about to, uh, let me see how much time, I, I, might, I have time to offend people this morning. How about that? Uh, <laughs> All right, in verse 12, there's this verse, or, or verse 1 of Ephesians 6. It says this. Watch this. Are you there? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. Look at me. <laughs> to the little ones, look at me. You got to do what I tell you to do. Isn't it wonderful to disciple children? Love being around children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And what's next? Paul says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I am about to meddle here a little bit, okay? Children, obey your parents. Obedience is a command of children, listen, while they're in the care of their parents. He says, why would that be? It's about to matter here in just a moment. This is what my dad always said to us. And I remember the day he walked in and told my brother there wasn't a separate set of rules for him and rules for the other five. We, we don't have two sets of rules here. And you either can abide by these rules or you can't be here. And he said, that's fine with me. And he went in there and packed his stuff and walked out with my mama right behind him crying. <laughs> you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. And I'm like, I get the room to myself. I'm not just having this here. <laughs> I'm no longer sharing the room with my bully brother. I wasn't saying that. I was feeling sorry for her, and I was like, we was so tight in. I was like, why did, why did it come to that? But he, Daddy would always say, you have to, if you're going to be here, you have to abide by the rules here. But once a son says, I do, to his wife, and a daughter says, I do, to her husband, listen, obedience portion of this verse no longer applies. Are you following me? The obedience portion of this no longer is in place. The honor stays in place. Never goes anywhere. As much as we as parents sometimes, and we're adult enough to have adult children, and they have children. And they have wonderful children. Some of the best children on the planet are those five children. They love her more than me, but somewhere down the line, they're going to love me more than her. We got, we got different strategies, don't we, Brenda? They, they're crazy about her. They're, they're okay with me, but uh, <laughs> somewhere down the line, I think they're going to love me. But once, once our daughter or our son said, I do, we had no more jurisdiction over them. I'm going to tell you what honor does not involve here in just a moment. I'm going to probably step on some toes here. I don't know if my parents approved of my oldest two sisters and my brother who they married. I just know there was a lot of chaos because my my sister, just older than me, forged her birth certificate in typing class, whited out the date of her birth so that her and Matt could run off to the course house and get married. And the problem was she told her best friend what she was doing. <laughs> Before she was even back at school, half the school already knew what, they had, what she had played hooky to do. It spread like wildfire in Harpersville. She thought she got away with some covert action, and they could be like secretly married until they can kind of work the other details out. How about that? 
And before the sun went down, my parents knew about it. And guess what my dad did? He got my brother in a car and drove down to Mac's parents' house where Mac lived. And, and my brother, I love this story. My brother got out, and when Mac saw my daddy, my daddy was about 5'11", about 240 pounds, and a man. And Mac's face, according to my brother, went pale as cotton. And my brother, my brother was walking behind my daddy saying, So to tell you that I don't know how my parents felt about those first three weddings. Because <laughs> it was just chaos. I was number four, and I was like, I'm going to try to do not the chaos part of getting married. So when I told my mom that I felt like I had met my future wife, this was like 1971, Thanksgiving break from Southeastern Bible College, I'm home in two months. I've, I've, I've got, like, she's got to be the one. And I was telling my mom, I said, I think I met who I'm supposed to marry. She said, oh, tell me all about her, right? And I was telling her she's beautiful. She's redheaded. She's just a wonderful person. And, and I said, and guess what, mama? Her name is Brenda Joyce. My mother liked to went into a Pentecostal shout. <laughs> <clears throat> She's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You've given me another Brenda Joyce. Because my oldest sister was Brenda Joyce, and she got married off, so Mama's getting another Brenda Joyce in the family. <laughs> and she approved of Brenda just by the name. <laughs> and when they, when they all met her, they was like, oh, she's just wonderful. But this is a thing my dad never meddled in our lives, never tried to pressure us because I'm, I'm going to talk to people here today that's going to face this or you face this because when you get married honor is in place but not obedience and honor does not mean that you submit to parents or in-laws manipulation of your marriage and you have to qualify especially at holidays holidays was always a challenge for us because we had a family now, we had children, and Christmas you can't be in two places at the same time. I guess all of you know that. And other holidays, we just, we just did a lot of juggling. And never once did our families ever try to press us to be with them in an imbalance of, you know, allegiance. And that's easy for parents to do. We want everybody, we, we have plans. Well, the other family has plans too. And I guarantee there's people in this room has already been subjected to the manipulation of a certain side of the family that we should take precedent over the other family. And that, is, that doesn't fit in honor. If both of the husband and wife is supposed to honor their parents, we're actually manipulating that to where one may be overly honored and the other dishonored. Are you following me? And, all, and when you get there, I don't know how you deal with it when it happens. Thankfully, we never had to deal with that. 
The funeral I did in Jackson, um, Reba Broadhead, 83 years of age. I hadn't pastored her for 24 years. But she told her family a few weeks ago when she, her health was failing, and she told them, says, I want Pastor Lynn to preach my memorial service. And so her daughter Nancy called me, and this was weeks ago, and said uh, mom's health is getting worse, but she wanted to make sure, could you do her, her memorial service? And I said, I'll do, I'll do it, everything I can to make that happen. I said, yes, it would be an honor. And so she passed away this past week, and I did a memorial service Friday. Nancy told me that Houston and Reba brought his probably one of the most wonderful couple that you could ever meet. And he passed away a few years ago. But there stood Nancy's husband, Steve, and she said this to Steve. She says, when I brought Steve to meet my dad, <laughs> he didn't say it right then, but he said it to me later. says, Nancy, you can do better than that. <laughs> and Steve would probably say, I understand why he said that <laughs> from my appearance. <laughs> so he really, he really was not approving of her selection as a boyfriend. But she said, when they got married, all of that left. And said, they affirmed him, they loved him. And she said, they never once offered their ideas, their counsel, their advice, unless it was asked for. And I'm telling you, that guy walked with his wife through Houston's Parkinson and through Reba's dimension and stayed up with them as much as a blood family member. You know why? Because Houston and Reba Broadhead taught them how honor is supposed to take place. We're to train our children to honor us, right? But how we handle them as adult children when they start having their children, you will teach them how to practice that verse later in their life. You will teach them that. And they will see how you stand with your parents and how you take care of your parents. And we probably need to do a video for our kids so we'll remind them of how we took care of our parents, right? Because <laughs> we, uh, hopefully they'll take care of us, right? By the way, just a footnote, the praise team can come, but I need to explain something from last Sunday if you was here. What Brenda was trying to tell me about yelling at the kids, she explained it to me later that I wasn't there when she yelled at them. It was usually in the car on the way to church, and it was this. Kelly, don't take off your shoes. We're on our way to church. And that was her version of yelling. But her real yelling was, and I'm going to tell your daddy. That was like the death knell. But what we tried to practice with our kids was to talk to them and to say, this is how we look at things. This is, this is when you need to be home. This is, this is how you're, you know, when you start courting, this is, this is what's acceptable and this is what's not acceptable. And we, this is our values. This is our character. And then in a way, you're actually training them when they have their children to do that, right? And honoring, honoring your, 
your father and mother is really actually preparation for how your children will treat you in those years. The first commandment is loving God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. And that commandment empowers us to love other people. The first four commandments is really about loving God. The last six commandments is about loving each other. And listen, friends, it actually starts at home. Would you stand with me? Let me ask you a question. There was a, there was a message in tongues interpretation earlier. When did God start loving you? Was it after you came to him? Or was it before? There's a verse that says, Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love that verse. You know why? When it talks about, And now that we know him, how much more does he love us? The cross is our message of how much he loves us as rebels, as sinners, as stubborn resistant to his purpose. That's how much he loves us as sinners. If you want to know how much he loves you after you come to him, you just put a plus sign next to the cross. That plus more. That's hard to fathom. That's just to get us to him. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning that the great wealth of your love, the great magnitude of your mercy, that we think we've only tasted it when we repented and come to you, and yet it's the water we're to swim in. It's the air we're to breathe. And this morning I pray, Lord, for those who are laboring under a condemning, a mood of condemnation, and maybe it's been put upon them by manipulation and, and guilt. And I pray, Lord, that you'd break guilt off of people here this morning that they would no longer labor under this effort to acquire a place with you when you've already given us a place at your table. And I know, Lord, that we're not any of us perfect. We're not perfect parents. We're not perfect grandparents. We're not perfect husbands or wives. But, Lord, you've called us to have mercy to have honor in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would revamp entire families to no longer employ manipulation and guilt, but to listen to your voice and to respond and forgive and let go. In Jesus' name. And this is what this altar call us here for. You may have had parents that left wounds on you and scars on you, and you have trouble letting go. God wants to heal that and make you whole. And maybe there's things you've struggled with that's not exactly that. But there's a healing that you need deep down in your soul. I'll open this altar for you to come and let him embrace you, let him heal you, let him lift you. And if that's you, I want you to come as we sing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.